Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're grateful to be in conversation with Ales Rabanchik today. Alesh has a spiritual background in Zen Buddhism and was ordained a Zen Bodhisattva in the French temple of Le Gourdonier. He has been practicing and teaching Hatha Yoga for 30 years. Based on Dr. Rolf's principles, he developed his unique teaching style he calls Rolf Yoga. Alesh is the co-founder of the European Guild for Structural Integration. He teaches the basic training in the Czech Republic, UK, and Austria. Alesh's SI journey started in 1993 with his basic training, and he is greatly inspired by Peter and Emmett. In today's conversation, we talk about what brought Alesh to structural integration, studying with Emmett Hutchins and Peter Melchior, the European Guild for SI, trusting the recipe, keeping the core of Dr. Rolf's teaching, and more. It's another very comfortable conversation with someone passionate about their work. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hello, Alash. Hello, Andrew. Hi. Hi there. So, uh, Alash, I first got connected with you because you were putting out these really great posts in one of the Facebook forums. I forget which. I think it was tracking the recipe. Well, it was page. both of them. Both of them. It was both of them. Private page also. Yeah, and it was just um, what I really what I really loved about it is. The, I, coming from the Institute, have some knowledge, and I don't know a lot about Peter and, and Emmett, and it was just this, it was almost like um, finding the Ten Commandments and then being like, oh, but there's, you have one of the types of, of stone, and, and here's the other stone to, to go with it. So I was really grateful for you for doing that, of which I'm still sort of looking through it and I feel like it's a great thing to to take from like pieces of, of it at a time because there's so much in there what prompted you to to do that oh this it started completely completely by accident um we use the video demos of the 10 series of Peter Melchior and of Emmett Hutchins in our basic trainings because we teach throughout Europe they have to have subtitles in diverse languages so in, in Prague, they have Czech subtitles. In Warsaw, they have Polish subtitles. In Milan, they have Italian subtitles. And the Italian basic training needed new subtitles. So they, were, they were, had translated them, and I needed to put them, you know, with a subtitle editor into the correct place in the movie, which is an incredibly boring task. You know, you just copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste the whole day. But of course, you have to read the English text so that you get the Italian to the right place. And there was a moment where I said, oh, well, this is really nice what Peter said there. And, you know, just because I was bored, I, I thought, well, let's, let's put this on Facebook. And, and then it took off. You know, people started reacting to it. And I, I got the sense that people were really interested in this, in this let's say, old-style teaching and old-style knowledge and wisdom that Peter has. And, and so, you know, I started just posting one every day because I was still doing the subtitles. And then when I stopped doing the subtitles, I thought, well, we're at session, whatever it was, seven now. We might as well do the rest. Can we talk a little bit more of what you're referring to? I'm a little unsure. Oh. Oh, and I'm I sure listeners it. would probably enjoy knowing a little bit more what video we're talking about. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two things. I mean, there's a, there was a sort of like a blog that started accidentally on the private page of Facebook with quotes from Peter Melchior and Emmett Hutchins, partly. And, and this, this blog started accidentally because I was doing subtitles in Italian for DVD, uh, originally DVDs from the 90s, where Peter Melchior and Emmett Hutchins do a 10-series demo and explain what they're doing and all the theory and all that. 
So that's that's the context. Okay. Which I, I actually realized probably brings into something I should have started with, which is why don't we talk about you <laughs> and oh. like so people actually know who you are and what brought you to where you are now. How much time do I have? Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Um, Probably most people, I mean, many people don't know me really because, you know, Europe is, is such an, from so far away from the United States in terms of, in terms of rolfing and structural integration, where we're kind of on a different continent, definitely. So my name is Alish uh, Urbancic, and I got into this work in the 1990s. I did my basic training, but I got into the work actually because I got rolfed in Zurich, in Switzerland, in uh, probably 1985 or something like that. And um, I was, at that time, I was in a really, really bad state. Psychologically, physically, I'd had a serious accident to my knees, but also to my neck. And, um, but the main problem was I was really in a psychologically bad state. And the neck injury kind of brought me to the point where I thought I'm going to, this is it. I, I immediately felt when it happened that this is going to change my life forever. It's like being in a wheelchair. I mean, close to that. It's that type of transition where you have such a serious excellence that, wow, nothing is ever going to be the same anymore. So I thought, well, if, 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 this, if these headache stuff that are there and the migraines stay like this, I'm going to shoot myself. This is not worth living like that. At the same time, I was, during that time, I was uh, being trained as a professional actor at the Acting Academy here in Zurich. And I was nearly finished, and it was like maybe six months before the final exams, and I was part in, in many scenes for my colleagues, you know, partner. So I, 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 you know, I'm a good sport, so I, I thought to myself, I'll finish the school and not be a bad sport for my partners, I'll just do my stuff. Uh, and shoot myself afterwards. Um, but my knee hurt. My knee hurt a lot after a meniscus surgery that I had a couple of years before. And I, I, I really had a hard time on stage just walking and standing. It really hurt a lot. And so somebody suggested rolfing, and I went with Bert Schmitz, a rolfer here in Zurich, who's originally from Holland, through a basic series. And what happened in that in that series was was mind-boggling to me at the time. Um, the knee problem was kind of a sideshow. Uh, we had that under control in no time. But what's changed on a psychological level is that I realized that many of the psychological problems I had were actually stuck in my physical body. And so after these 10 sessions, there was, it wasn't like they were gone, but I saw light at the end of the tunnel, like a faint glimmer. And I thought, wow, I mean, if 10 hours of fascial manipulation can give me this type of experience, I mean, what can 20 years do if I keep, let's say, at least intentionally walking in that direction and working with this, with this inner alignment, with the sense of the line with, uh, that, that Bert talked about a lot, and we practiced a lot. And so I would started... You, Pardon? Would you mind sharing a little bit of what the treatments look like? Because especially getting Rolf in that day and time, there, there was a little emphasis on the pressure. And I would, can you, I'm just curious a little bit of like, what was the treatment like? Was it a lot of dialogue of what your experiences were in your body or was your practitioner kind of quiet and just working with your tissue? What was it that maybe evoked that, that shift, psychological shift? With right. The, the, the psychological shift was evoked by, by really by fascial reorganization, not by talking. The talking was a minor, minor thing. It was old style rolfing. It was really, um, I walked around after my first session, maybe for a day, and I kind of didn't know who I was anymore. It was very intense. It was very intense, but at the same time, I never perceived it as painful because 
there was a communication established between the practitioner and the client. He was always with me in the intensity. He was, he was, not, um, he was not treating me like an object. He was trying to figure out where is the boundaries of um, where am I, where, where is he, how can we do this work together, how can we collaborate on this transformative process of, of, uh, of rolfing. Um, I cried a lot. There was a lot of tears. You know, there was like in session four and session seven, um, there were moments which were really, really, but they were emotionally intense. They were not, you know, of course it's intense, but it's, that's not the point. It's not like, um, it's not the type of pain where you feel this is bad. It's the type of intensity where you feel, okay, I have to go with this. I felt instantly from the first touch that A, he knew what he was doing, and B, that what he was doing was the right direction for me. That was the first session, you know, and he did a classical, absolutely classical 10 series as I learned it 10 years later with Emma Hutchins and Peter Melchior. So. So would you say that the, the orientation, the new orientation that you were getting from the physical touch got you maybe unconsciously excited to have a different perspective in the sense that like maybe you're not interested in killing yourself anymore? It was, did, it, it was more than that. It was more than that. It literally changed a way of thinking about life. That's beautiful. Um, it, it was much, much more than that. It was incredibly profound. Uh, there were some things that I had never even asked myself before. I had never asked myself the question, can this body be changed in any way? You know, it, it, or if it can be changed, what kind of an effect does it have on my life? It gave my life an orientation. The most important thing maybe for me, and this is probably different for other people in, 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 you know, who have other issues. Um, for me, the moment I started working with this very simple concept that when you walk, the knees track straight forward. You know, this is about as simple as it gets. But ever since then, um, my life started falling into place. It sounds a little, a little esoteric, but this is just my experience. I can, I can just describe it that way. It's like puzzles started. I didn't have to look for things anymore. Things started happening bit by bit, of course, more and more over the years. And um, that's something which I had in this, in this manner never thought about before. You know? So it gave my life, this knee forward thing gave my life an orientation. And the line gave my life an inner orientation. Okay? And that, of course, when you have a sense of stability and orientation, then you don't have to kill yourself. I mean, then there, there is some sort of, you know, peace also, inner peace. There's not this turmoil all the time. So that's, that's my, you know, you could call this an initiation in some way. You know, if you, if you don't use initiation as a religious metaphor, but, but as something where something really new was initiated and started and changed a paradigm that was different before that. Well, I think your story just is so beautiful and profoundly it shows how our bodies store a story. And when, when we get touched in a way and get support in a way, we really get to orient in a new, new way that can be enlightening. And right. I mean, I just think what, what you're sharing you, you and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you entered into your series in kind of a, a psychotic distress, and there is a chance that maybe you got when receiving that work, you could have gotten into a further spiral of that. Yeah. But instead, yeah. you found a, an alignment, yeah. and were able to that the the mental stress got dissipated, and thank goodness, because we get to be blessed to have you on this planet a lot longer than you had originally planned for yourself. 
In, in my recollection, the most important thing was probably that Bert Schmitz, who was our author at the time, he was in every session and every moment with me, 100%. He was always looking for something deeper in me. He was looking for my soul. He was not trying to fix a knee. He was not treating me as an object, but he was, he was challenging me to become myself. Not verbally, but by the way that he touched and by the way he manipulated that tissue. And this is this, a similar experience I had then, you know, 10 years later in my training um, with Emmett Hutchins, who, who was originally the teacher of Baird. There's, there is sometimes this lineage, you know, where you, where, where you kind of have a similar style as the person who taught you this work. And I basically encountered the same approach with Emmett later on. Excellent. Do you have uh, any great stories to share about training with Emmett? Um, I, I, have, I, I could have stories about Peter and Emmett. And it's maybe not details and stories, but it's, they were very different. They were very, very different people. And still they shared this, this common ground of following this, this mysterious recipe. <laughs> um, Peter, Peter was someone who was very incredibly poetic. He was able to phrase things and to work with the tissue in a way where you always had the feeling um, he is like a a very soft artist, like a more of a painter nearly. Okay. And, and Peter, Peter would sometimes when you would watch him work, you had no clue what he was doing. He had literally a touch where he would find in that fascial web, the big knots, you know, the really big ones. And he only worked on those. And he worked on those incredibly subtly, he would just hold it for a long, long, long time and do some little thing there. And the person stood up and was totally transformed. Emmett was different. Emmett was much more directive in his touch. Emmett would straighten out any leg. Didn't matter whether it was a bow leg or an X leg. After a 10 series with Emmett, it was definitely a lot straighter. So his sessions were um, a lot more intense. But it was the same, on some level, the same thing, because he also was, in, from his personality, looking for the other person. So it was not like he was overpowering you, but he was challenging you, challenging you to meet him somewhere. Um, the one thing that I really respect with both of them, um, and, and this is maybe, I think maybe this is unusual in the current, uh, current field, they taught a basic training every year of their lives. They never thought themselves to be too aloof of a basic training. Okay. I think this is really remarkable. You know, that you really I echo down, that. I mean, that is, I really honor that. That's, I'm still touched by that, that Emmett taught. Uh, six months before he died, he taught a basic training. Yeah, it's absolutely great, fabulous. Yeah, so special and so yeah. yeah. That's a leader. That is a leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And they both had they both had a simplicity in them in the sense that they were humble. They were humble towards the work. They did not put themselves at the forefront but the work was at the forefront and the result was at the forefront. It was never, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like a, the greatest rolfer and I know how to do this and this. This was, none of that was there. They were in service. They were really in true service. And that's, that's what touched me about these two guys most probably. Was, was it part of it a sense that they didn't necessarily Trust might not, might be a strong word, but they didn't trust other people could teach the basic training as well as them, or was it more that they just were really humble, like you said, or stuff in between? Well, there's always a mixture of things. There's also a mixture of politics, you know, and you have this amount of teachers and you have that, and 
Um, but there was other people at the Guild teaching basic trainings. There was Neil Silvera, there was David Davis, there was Neil Powers teaching. But there was definitely one of them every year was with Emmett, you know, either the auditing or the practice, you know, one, one, one of them. He would maybe you know, just do one, but he would do one. Um, and of course, there were years when maybe I mean, somebody was, was sick or was, was away and couldn't, and he had to. Of course, of course. But, but it, my sense was always that he liked, this is also what Neil Powers recently told me, that he misses, with all these advanced workshops, he misses the basic students. You know, the, 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 the ins, boy, you can inspire somebody from the get-go and, and, and light a, a, a spark in the person towards this work. And he misses that, that sense that he can do that when he doesn't yeah. teach too much for the basic trainings because, you know, we, we only have him come over now for the advanced training stuff because it's just, you know, he lives in San Francisco, we're in Europe. I mean, you know, our basic trainings is a two-year program, once a month uh, a module. So, I mean, him flying back and forth at the age of nearly, you know, 76 or 77 once a month would be crazy. So we just get him here for the advanced stuff. Yeah, I was just going to echo, like, I this morning I was teaching a yoga class and it was for a friend's company. And one of the people said, oh, you know, I've never done yoga before. And, and I lit up at that because I think it's so nice to to be able to not have to undo things as well. You don't have to say, well, you've learned it that way. That's fine. But also, what about this? You just have this fresh clay. There's something lovely about that. It's, it yeah. can be more exciting. Well, I learned a lot by in 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 teaching. You know, I I, I probably learned more in teaching than than in in practicing. I think, I think because if you have to explain it and you have to you have to adjust the, what you're explaining to the individual, and that one doesn't understand, is you have to explain it differently. It's uh, and and show it differently. It's 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 so rich. So, I would encourage anybody who has this. Uh, feeling in him to teach to to start going in that direction you know because you learn so much yourself so before you started teaching you first completed your basic training um and then i'm guessing you completed your did you complete your advanced training before of course oh oh i didn't dare to teach i didn't dare to teach for 20 years you know, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years now, and I've been teaching for about, you know, maybe maybe 10 or so. Um, I had to be really persuaded to teach, not, not because I don't like teaching, but because I always felt that the shoes that I had to step into were so big. You know, I knew what Peter and Emmett could do, and I just had so much reverence for that that um, that I just didn't dare. I just simply didn't dare. The circumstances were also not there. Um, when you start a school, you need you need a setup. You need people who do the 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 office work, the administrative work, you know. And and um, and that happened accidentally in in Prague um, in two thousand and ten, where I had a client. Um, who had been in a similar accident as I had been with the neck. She had a skiing accident. And um, the medical prognosis was that she would be paralyzed somewhere down the line, that she would be in a wheelchair. Uh, that any, any stupid little movement, even at night in bed, could just sever that spinal cord, you know. And, and she had tried lots of things, Pilates and stuff, risky stuff, you know, um, but the, the symptoms were still so dramatically there. And I took her through a 10 series of structural integration and she's a Pilates teacher now, so she, she can live a normal life. But, and what happened was that her husband was, was so, also so glad that his marriage, his family situation had been saved through this process, that he said, I want you to teach this. And I'm going to sell my company. He was a little, he had a, like a, 
not a big company, but you know, like he had a hundred employees, you know? Yeah. So it was a mid-sized company. And he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to sell this and devote my time to setting up a school here. And this is how the European Guild started, essentially. And then there was a, he had a secretary, of course, who could do the administration and stuff and, 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 and all these things. And now, and then, then we started having, of course, the idea that then other people jumped on. Then the people from Poland said, the guild trained people in Poland said, hey, listen, we know what you're doing there. Can you come to Poland? And then the Italians said, can you come to Italy? And so it's what we're doing right now is like creating a network of basic trainings of, of workshops throughout, throughout Europe. Can you talk a little bit more about how you guys are, it sounds like you're co-cooperating as a school. Co-cooperating? Yeah, that you're, that, yes, there's a guild in each in its respective country, but you, you really are still one school. No, we're not. No, okay. No, we're not. The, the guild in the U.S. is a, is a different school than we are in Europe. Um, it's a different organization. It, it has the same name and is the same lineage. So it was the, the, the school which essentially was founded originally in 1992 by, by Peter Melchior, Emmett Hutchins, David Davis, Neil Powers, Stacy Mills, and several others. Sorry, I, I, I'm, I didn't make myself clear, I don't think. Yeah, not the schools between United States and Europe, but within Europe. Oh, within Europe. Within Europe, we have one school. It's mm -hmm. school, but it's not a building. Okay. The school is not a building. The school is a network. We, wow. have a, <laughs> we have a basic training in Milan. We have one in Bath in the UK. We have one in Vienna. And we have one in Prague and one in Warsaw. And then we have workshops. So we don't need a building since we have the internet nowadays. We can do all of this online. And Ooh, do you... Uh we so, don't have any online webinars. That no, 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 no we don't have that at all. Mm -hmm. no, we're, so we're hands on. We're hands on. We're, so we're, then, uh, somewhere you have your various places that you host the workshops. Yeah. And oh yeah, the the sure yeah 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 we have our our locations now. After many years, we've you know we have our favorite spots where we go to. Mm -hmm. And people from can do part of the training in Italy and part of the training in... No, 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 that's, that's, that's impossible. The training is set up in a way that we have um, 20 extended weekends is the whole training. So it takes about two years. And one of the ideas that we had and which we're still pursuing is that it's taught in the local language. So in Poland, the class is being taught in Polish and it, 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 Italy is being taught in Italian by our Italian instructors there. And so that would be very difficult to switch. And it's, and it, you know, there's a group that gets together and then there's a two-year journey. That must create a very passionate practitioner to be committed yeah. for two years it does. over a long period of, I mean, you know, over weekends where I think sometimes in the United States with our training, and I can't speak for the Guild, I had a short stint about six years teaching the basic training in boulder and it was very interesting to the type of students that would come through because you would definitely get the people who had a extensive rolfing work whatever needs and really did come at it as a passion and then you got students that were kind of fresh out of high school and were like oh this seems interesting i'll do this and there's definitely a different demeanor that was presented in the learning process for the people who had deep passion and really knew that this was their life calling versus the people who just thought it was a good, a good, good environment to work in. <laughs> well, I, I, I had, I, I think you probably had that they're often the same as we had at the guild. We had the traditional auditing and practicing. Maybe there's different, there's three phases now. I don't know how they do it nowadays, but we had two phases, basically. Once where you audited and just watched, and the other ones where you were the practitioners and the next group audited. I think originally the Rolf Institute had that, but that hasn't been in place. For a while, okay. For I mean, I'm close to 20 years as certified, and I went into a, a what we do now as a phase one. 
So you go right into skillful touch, learning how you go right into kind of the work rather than auditing and observing. I was, I was for 10 weeks. I just watched. I did not touch anybody. I just watched, which, you know, which is an experience in itself. That's, it's not a bad thing. I'm, I wouldn't, you know, just, just put that off as something bad, but I, I, now that I've been teaching this modular format over two years, I much prefer that. Mainly because the people in between the modules for an entire month have, have time to practice. They can, they can try things out. They can come back with difficulties. And if they do it smartly after those two years, they will have a small practice. You know, they will have worked on enough friends and family and stuff. And it'll, it'll already start. When I had finished my training in 93, I think, at the Guild, I had had, at the end of the training, under my hands, exactly four people. My partner in class and three models. Okay? This was my touch experience <laughs> of structural integration after a basic training. So obviously the people that come out of a modular format over two years have much more tactile experience than, than I had. So, and I, I like that result a lot better than, I think they're much more skilled than I was when I started. I really had to trust the recipe. I literally had to trust totally the recipe. Yeah, I, didn't, I haven't really thought about that. I think because with the Rolf Institute, the basic training there, skillful touch. And you have to earn 50 or 100 hours. I can't recall. 50. When I was there last, it was, I think, 50. Okay, 50. So they, they get that a lot of hands-on experience. But then, yeah, through the training, unless they go through a mentorship, they're really, there's the partner, the two outside clients in the clinical. So they really have only taken... If they didn't do any kind of mentorship, it's only three, three people they took through the series before they go out and be professionals. <laughs> I took a year in between mine. The recipe still works. I mean, this is the amazing yeah. thing about this. You know, you can actually not, not be totally skillful, but still actually do for most people a, a, a fairly good job. You know, they will usually feel better. And at, at, at best, nothing happens. Or at worst, at worst, nothing happens. You can't really, you can't really screw this up totally, um, even as a beginner. You'd have to be so incredibly insensitive uh, that you probably wouldn't could do the training in the first place if you were that type of personality. So. Someone in my phase three realized that by the time you complete the, our, the, the Rolf Institute's training, You've had to receive a 10 series before you could do the training. Then you receive and give a, a 10 series in phase two. You're also watching two. Yeah, uh, that's about it. You're watching, and, um, your teacher and the teaching assistant. And then in phase three, you're watching two more from teaching and teaching assistant plus giving two to your clients. So it ends up being... I think I can't do the math right now, but seven, six or seven, ten series that you're involved in by the time yeah. you go through the series, which is something. But Ooh, it, something. it's not the same as going home on the weekend and getting dirty and then coming back and yeah, yeah. So my my preference would be at the moment for the modular format. I like that much better, and it has, in my opinion, better results. Can you speak a little bit about the training with the guild that is, is, it's purely just the 10 series, the recipe. Yeah. Yeah. No introduction or titration with other supportive modalities like cranial, visceral. No, no, no way. Well, the guild has always been the school that tried to teach the work as original as possible. And this is not to say that other approaches are bad. You know, that uh, what Tom is doing with anatomy trains or even what the Rolf Institute has added on, this is not bad. But I think it is important that there is a school still there that just teaches 
like the core and nothing else, right? Because it'll get lost otherwise. If it gets completely diluted with everything else, ultimately nobody will be left that knows what the original teaching was. And I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that people after the training, if they need to have other stuff added on, they'll find it. They'll find it. I think if somebody wants to train craniosacral, then they should do a craniosacral training. This, in my opinion, should not be part of a Rolfing training, but that's my point of view. This is, I think Rolfing is strong enough in itself and powerful enough and can stand on its own feet without other stuff being added onto it. But I respect the people that are of different opinions and have done other things with it. Iderolf wanted different schools that emphasize different things originally. And this is in, in some ways what has, what has happened. You know, Tom Myers has gone off a little bit in that direction. The Soma people have gone off in another direction. Yeah, that's, that's life. It's okay. Peter Levine has gone off and created the yeah, uh, right. psychological side that yeah. I don't want it. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's all okay. And we're the ones that are just doing the, the original, nothing else. <laughs> we, do the, we go through the recipe in our training, we go through it three times. In the first phase, we have a phase one where we go through it, anatomy, palpation, theory, you know. Um, in the second phase, they work on each other. And in the third phase, they get three external models. And there's, there's other psychological modules and all that added on, but that's the basic structure. Yeah? So we, yeah, and that's what we do. Does the guild have principles, the five five standard principles of support, adaptability, palatinicity, so are those familiar? Well, we would, we would probably, we have a different vocabulary, I think, that there's been, that's developed over the years. So we wouldn't, if you say these words, then I would be, need to translate them into what we would call that. But essentially, we of course have that, but not, not with those words. Could you, what are your words? Well, give me, give me, a, give me yours first, then I can translate them into what we would do. Because I don't know you. I really don't know what the Rolf Institute has been doing over the years, so. Well, it's, not, it's less about what the Rolf Institute, I'm just curious. So the way we are taught is the, the, the recipe, and within the recipe there's these founding principles Mm -hmm. that you hold in your mind's eye that support the, the recipe. And I'm curious, does the guild have something like that in terms of like your theory? Is the theory just, what's your theory? Is it just like, this is, these are the steps of session one, free the breath. Well, there is, okay. Um, for me, the recipe and the way we teach it is the recipe is not a set of uh, strokes. Okay? It is a set of intentions for every session and a by and large defined territory that you work with. And they work like building blocks for one another. So, and the first three sessions would stay on superficial fascia. The next four sessions would be core sessions. The last three would be the integrative sessions. So I think probably we would, even now in the training from the office, we would agree on that basic setup, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the, the main principles that we start off with is uh, technically, is what Eiderolf used to say, put it closer to where it belongs and get it to move there get it to move in that position. Um, <laughs> if you don't succeed immediately, get the fuck out of there and try somewhere else. <laughs> That's been repeated a few times at the Rolf Institute. Course. Of course, and these are important principles, I think. Um, the third one would be uh, go where it ain't. So don't try and fix a problem. This is probably, this is probably our most basic approach. Also my experience as a practitioner. Um, we are not, in my view of this work, we're not 
never, we're never trying to fix anything. What we're trying to do is to help the person organize better in gravity in the hope that through this reorganization, the organism will solve the problem by itself. Um, so I am at best as a practitioner, I'm a, maybe a midwife. Something, you know, metaphorically and trying to help the person find something in themselves an alignment and organization, which they don't know yet, which they've never thought about. Okay. And in this, in this larger concept, these sessions have a certain order which allows you to um, not get tempted in trying to fix the shoulder or the knee. It keeps you, gives you a, a structure that you can say, okay, we'll see what a fourth hour inside of the leg pelvic floor work will do to that shoulder that hurts. Yeah, may well be that it will improve because of that. It may be that it won't, but there's at least, you know, just as much chance that it will that it won't. And this is the basic philosophy that we teach. Do not ever fix anything. Really work on organizing. And you have a different mindset. And in my, in my experience as a practitioner, um, it's difficult to get there. You're, you're always trying to help. Some, somebody's foot hurts, knee hurts. You always want to help, of course. I understand. And it took me many, many years to really get to the point where I can now say, I'm not interested in that hurting foot. Okay? And the interesting thing for me is being the less I am interested in the problem, the better the, the result at the end is. That is, you know, but that takes a process in, the, in your brain as a practitioner to really, really trust that and get there. And this is essentially, that's the basic thing that we teach over and over and over again. Because also, think about it, there's people that are trained in fixing stuff, which are much better trained in that direction than Rolfers are. You know, there's this physiotherapist that are great at doing local repair stuff. So as a practitioner, ultimately, if you, if you, if you, you know, if you work on and focus on the problem, you're in competition with many, many, many good people, you know, but there's not a whole lot of people who can do a good 10 series. There are much fewer of those around in the world. And if you focus on that, you will find your clientele and you will be much, much happier than if you compete with the vast field of, uh, of, of great people who are great at fixing knees. I was speaking with someone, I think yesterday, the day, the day before, sort of about rolfing. And, and one of the things I was saying, or about structural integration, and one of the things I was sort of saying is, what's lovely is you know that if you, if you end the session and you haven't, quote, fixed the shoulder, you've got, you know, if you're doing a session one, well, you've got session three to get back to. You've got session five to get back. You have all these other things to touch in but you're also touching into the relationship of the, yeah. whether it's the, the, the shoulder girdle to the pelvis or the, yeah. the superficial to the deep or the deep to other parts of the deep. Like it's, it's a really lovely, because my background was in body work before I came to rolling. And when I was talking with this person, I was talking to a body worker who was interested in going into to rolling and sort of like explaining that of when you're doing, if you're doing a traditional body work, you're doing that session, maybe you're thinking one session ahead. Um, and I sort of said it was more like chess with the rolfing. You've got a beautiful chess thing where you are looking. It's more down. like go. Hmm? It's more like the Chinese go. Go game. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's really, it's, it's really lovely. It's interesting. A lot of what you said about, um, keeping keeping the traditional recipe i was very much torn between going to the guild or going to deary uh, the the institute and one of the reasons i went to the institute was that 
it was, I'll say, progressive. It had taken new things on. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I really thought it was better. But as I listened to you and as we, we spoke with Dario and I speak to other people, you know, I, I recognize the, the non-polarity of it, that neither is better. Each no. has their own. Each has their own. And even both. And, 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 and both of them will attract different people. You know, the people that would, we're, we're, the guilds and the teachings that we have, we're a very tactile school. Our, our practitioners are very good with their hands. They, they maybe don't know every ligament in the body by name, you know. That is not, not the most important thing. For me, structural integration learning is a little bit like learning a musical instrument. You know, you have to practice and then you can play. And of course, you need to learn a the theory around it, of course, of course. But it can't be at the forefront. The forefront has to be the, the music, <laughs> the, uh, yes, the work. The work and the intention of finding that other person and finding the line with them together, that's, that's for me at the forefront. Otherwise, I mean, there's people that would be very, very good at intellectually, you know, getting the fascial planes and this, this does this and naming them and all that. And this is all good stuff, but this does not necessarily make them a good practitioner. So I'm glad that... I'm glad that we have, you know, my good friend, Robert Schleip. I'm glad that there's people like him who, who, who loves to look into a microscope and investigate the, you know, the, the, the minute details and the fascia, you know. Uh, it's something that I would never be able to do from my personality. Uh, but I'm glad that he likes it. And I'm glad to read his results and we can talk about it. And, you know, that's, it's great. This was actually, I mean, speaking about stuff like that, this is actually really an interesting, interesting experience for me. Um, a couple of years ago, we had the idea to bring Robert Schleip, who is probably in, in the, let's say, in the structural integration world, the most scientific person, probably. And, and we got him together in a workshop with Sharon Wheeler, who originally was either Rolf's artistic experiment, who had no clue about anatomy, who was maybe, maybe one of the more, let's say, shamanic workers in, in how she looks at a body and how she works. And they taught a workshop together for us about scar tissue. And they fell in love with each other. I mean, <laughs> not, not, not on, the, on this emotional, but, but on, on, this, on, this, uh, on this level of work. He loved her touch and her, her intuitiveness, and she loved his science. So on some meta level, after many, many years of working, you know, on completely different parts of the SI world, things got together again for them. And this, this year, they'll be teaching their fourth workshop together for us, you know, about scar tissue and about stuff. That's, that's so awesome. And it's... It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's similar. I think one of the reasons why Nikki and I are, are doing this podcast is, okay, you're in the guild, you're in Soma, you're in AT, you're in, you're in Baral, you're in this other school, mm-hmm. um, but how can, we, how can we communicate? You know, how, and for me, a lot is all these schools are different, but I, from my scope of perspective, the, the institute and the guild are, are there's this like butting of heads in a way but when you meet the people you're like oh you're not at all what I thought you'd be uh, <laughs> but somehow of having more of these of having oh okay well Alesh is a, a gilder and Nikki's a rolfer like what could they what could they share together as far as enhancing the work mm-hmm. Well, my, I, I would be very much, and I've been trying to, I've been advocating that, that we should start having our instructors go to a basic training at the Rolf Institute for, for a day, for two days, you know, just sit in. And that their instructors come to our trainings and sit in for a day or two. Um, I would really welcome that, that, that type of communication. Um, yeah, maybe that would be an option down the road. I think... You know, people who, the beauty of this podcast that I think 
where it was an intention and where I feel like it's really happening is bridging the gap a little bit more that people, there were people who went to the guild because they were influenced by a person who was trained at the guild. And then they would say the same about the Ralph Institute. And I, again, I don't, I don't know if the guild goes into much of the history and talks about the Institute much. I know it kind of gets a conversation going on a little bit. I, I graduated with the Rolf Institute, so it's still kind of hard for me to re- remember that it's now called Dr. Ida Rolf Institute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I think there is, and I, I will humbly admit that I was kind of one of those people like, well, I'm the Rolfer because I'm part of the trademark. Where now it's like, who cares? Like, we're, we're all in for the holistic approach of meeting the client where they're at and everything that you beautifully already said is how do we meet a client's need, not just by a fix-it mentality, but how do we get them on board with their body and have a bigger picture and come online with their body a little bit more and think about all the different things that can maybe, that pain, is it really a pain in the knee? Is it a pain how you're standing, how you're walking through mm-hmm. the world? I think the, the differences between the schools are much smaller than differences between practitioners. Absolutely. There is just as much variety within, within the Rolf Institute as within the guild between the practitioners. Um, and, and, and the difference between what we teach is probably you know, very small. I remember very well initially when, when I wanted to do this work and I asked Bert Schmitz, who was at the, the Rolf Institute, who was a Rolfer at the time in Zurich, I want to learn this. Where can I learn this? And this was in 1992 or 91 or something like that. No, it was in 89. It was in 89. Yeah. This was just after the split, the big split. Um, and, and Bert said, you know, um, I think for the type of personality who you are, you would be a better fit with uh, Peter and Emmett than with Michael Salveson and Jan Sultan. So he didn't say this school is better or this school is worse. He fit me with, with, with the people that he thought would be, would be the better match. Um, my, my niece, my niece is an excellent violinist, okay? And, and she, she told me last year that she was moving to Norway. And I said, first thing I said, hey, are you nuts? It's cold up there. It's dark in the winter. What are you going to do in Norway? And she said, there is a violinist teacher there who I just adore because of the sound he can do. And I want to learn from him and not from some guy in Paris who also plays well but it's not what I, I need at the moment. And so this is similar for me in the structural integration world. There are people who will like Tom Myers' approach, there will people who like um, Tessie Bongard's approach, and there's other people who will like Neil Powers. You know, there's, there's room for everybody. It's really a matchup of who goes with who rather than, because everyone has a slightly different style. There's a different transmission of the work. And there is, X billion people in the world. So, I mean, uh, hey, they're all different. They have different brains. So, yeah, I yeah, feel like I- there's a mixed blessing in the split because it's a, we got two ways of keeping a legacy going on with Ida Rolf. And, and I just I feel like it gives a lot of, a, a lot of conversations of, of the, the brilliance that she has brought into the world with pioneering structural integration. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I, it's something I intellectually knew, but when you said that, uh, that the, how the guild really just wants to be the school that keeps, it stays consistent with teaching the 10 series. I was like, hallelujah. That, thank God we have a school like that. That's just, Staying consistent. I thought that we have other schools who, who experiment with it. Exactly. I mean, I, I think well, my personality right. definitely has benefited from yeah. uh, being at the Rolf Institute. I just kind of landed there. I had already been in Colorado. I, 
I, I didn't do a big like search of what the guild, I learned about the guild actually being at the Rolf Institute. So right. that's just kind of where it landed for me. But, um, but the more that we've had these conversations, it's, it's great. And I am I'm thrilled that we have this to offer to listeners that there's, there isn't one better school that we're really there to, that this, the, the guild. Exploring sure. different aspects of the work. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You know, the Soma people, I, don't, I, I think, I, I'm not sure, I think the Soma people in Washington, they're exploring more the spiritual side of it. And Tom is more exploring the muscle side of it. And, and you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We had yeah. a, the, the Swiss Association, um, is a, association has been for now three years where all practitioners from all schools are together. Okay. So it's the Swiss Association of Rolfing and Structural Integration. And we had a garden party yesterday where we were, you know, we were all together. Um, no, day before yesterday. Um, you know, the ATSI people, the, the Rolfers, the Guild people. And it was, you know, it was fine. We had a couple of beers together and <laughs> enjoyed the, the barbecue. And <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's not, it's possible. <laughs> There is much, much more that unites us than divides us. I mean, that's for sure. And there is much more that divides individual practitioners than the schools, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really nice to hear that there's um, that group of, of you getting together and having, technically, I guess, IASI would be that. Um, but IASI is... I don't admit it. it's a governing board, sort of, but there isn't an actual... Well, it's a little bit like the United Nations. Um, it's good that it's there and the countries can get together and discuss things, but it's very difficult for them to enact anything because they don't have, a, they don't have power over the schools. Like the United Nations doesn't have power over what really happens. They can advise, and that's good. It's good that it's there. It's good that it's there. Um, in Switzerland, actually, it was like that, that the Swiss gov government actually imposed um, in some ways that we needed to come together. Um, it, uh, they, they, they created a new profession. And the new profession was called, is called complementary therapist, complementary to the usual medical system, slash a method slash shiatsu, slash um, whatever, okay? And there was like, you could apply to become part of this governing body of this new profession. And the, the Swiss Rolfing Association originally wanted to apply under the name Rolfing and the Swiss government said, no, you can't do that because um, Rolfing is a trademark and not a method. And so uh, it's kind of from, from the outside imposed on, on the association to include other people because, you know, then it was obvious that we needed to come together and now, now that's what it is. And it's, it, it works and it's no problem. Okay. It's strange that bureaucracy actually brought people together. Yes, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> it's very un-American, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need help over here. Well, I think you've been, there is some, there is some, some states now where structural integration is a profession, right? Like Nevada and I think Oregon and um, they, they've gotten through the legislative process. There's two or, and Nevada definitely. Uh, Nevada. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not positive on the others. I know that. Um, oh, New Mexico, I think. I'm not sure if Mexico is, or, I, I'm not sure at this point. It's the right direction. Yeah, we have the at the benefit and the downfall that each state has their own governance, and so when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's it's not great. We don't have. It's not much different in Europe. This is the case just in Switzerland. There's thirty other countries in Europe which don't have the luxury that we now have in Switzerland. So, um. Similar, we need to do it country by country, and that's a tedious, long, 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 long road. <laughs> <laughs>
we do want to talk a little bit about the calendar. The calendar is just a spin-off for this from where we started off from this Peter Melchior blog. I suddenly had the idea that it might be nice to have one of those quotes uh, from, from old SI wisdom on a calendar where people could once a month chew on, on something that was said, you know, at the time and, and meditate on it. And so we created a, a 2021 calendar with either off pictures with Peter and Emmett pictures. That's beautiful. How would someone get that? You can just go to our website, rolfguild.eu, and you just click the link, and it'll cost you at the moment for the United States forty dollars for the whole for the calendar and shipping. Well, let me and shipping. Yeah, let me just show you one. We get to see it, but the listeners can't. Ooh. I know it's 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 a nice format. It's very tall. I heard that it wasn't that tall, but it was after you rolled it, it became a little taller. It, it gets longer. It gets longer. So there is this, these are the month, okay? Everyone, every, it's built up basically. There's a picture of either Rolf or unpublished pictures, by the way, so far. And there's something that it says, and then there's the, the dates underneath and of, of the month or whatever, you know. So rolfguild.eu, and you will find directly on the page a link where you can purchase it. It's a limited edition. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't make 5,000 of those because, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's a celebration of Ida Rolf's 125th birthday next year. Yeah, and I think we will have you on again closer to that to talk more about that. Maybe we'll have you on more times if we can because you are really uh, just a delight. Oh, thank you. It's been fun doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a, it's an interesting, I, I just had a webinar yesterday for the Polish Fashion Symposium. And we had a very, we chose a very interesting topic. I asked the Rolfer that Rolfed me, Bert Schmitz, to take part. And I asked one of my clients who then became a structural integration practitioner to join. So we had three generations. Okay? And we talked about transmission about this lineage, about what it is that makes you become someone who wants to do this work. What is it that happened in that first 10 series that got you so excited um, and didn't let you go anymore, you know, that planted some sort of a deep seed in you? So we did that yesterday. And um, at some point when the fascist symposium had shown it already, that's in October, then I can I can publish it also. They obviously want it first for their for their symposium. We have to record it because um, on that weekend in the symposium is I'm actually teaching, so um, I couldn't do it live, and we did that yesterday. But it was it was an interesting discussion with those two guys, <laughs> like it was with you today. You know, I think all of this helps for people to understand each other better. Otherwise, we're just acting on projections of what the other is and who the other is and what the other thing is and what it's like. And when you then actually talk to the other person, it's just a practitioner like you are with the same problem, with the same hopes, with the same fears. You know, it's no different. Yeah, and I feel like these conversations that we've been having with various structural integrators, and especially between the Roth Institute and the Guild, Practitioners is it really is illuminating a global theme that we're all more alike than different, mm. and that we're probably you know I think it's fair to say that we're on this planet for for the greater good and less division and more community. But for it's whatever fair. reasons we we have fallen into these various groups or mindsets that are that are dividing and we're seeing the kind of the, the downfall of that and the destruction that comes from choosing to be different than uniting. Right. Well, I, I think if we would learn to see the other, not as a something that's better or worse, but something that is just pursuing a different angle to the work um, because of the personality they have, because of the interest that they have, not because they're bad people. You know? Um, what I've sort of noticed because of COVID locking us down and people going more online, it seems like there is more 
interconnection in, in great ways. And mm. so it is helping to, to bridge and, and then hopefully build our communities more. Right. So. Well, it was such a pleasure to, to meet you and talk with you and learn from you. Hey, it's, it was a pleasure doing it, definitely. And I think you're doing a great job, what, how you're doing it and that you're doing it. So keep, keep doing it. And, and yeah, maybe there's a point where some of us from different schools can come together and chat across, across party lines, they say, in the United States. <laughs> Balash, thank, thank you so much. It's been, it's been great. It's been great to meet you in semi-person, and we will definitely have you on again. Anytime. We, we have the Ralph Guild website. Is there a personal one that you use for yourself as well for people to find more about you? No. I mean, there is, but it's not maintained. Okay. It's not, it's not important. It's not even mobile-friendly, anything like that. I mean, like, you need to, on the mobile Zoom, you know, it extends that. It's, it's not. No. The Rolf Guild website has enough stuff about me. Perfect. Thank you so much, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Hey, ciao. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao. Adios. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Alesh and the European Guild for Structural Integration at rolfguild.eu. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on your favorite podcast aggregators. Please share us with people who may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there and hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.